Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We are a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into the same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. Amen. Well, good morning again. We're excited to celebrate uh, Christmas together again today. And Christmas is all about the birth of the Messiah to the world, God's gift to us. And even as we were singing um, that phrase, hallowed manger ground, it just, it, it just kind of painted for me a picture of being in the um, Judean hillside near Bethlehem. And can you imagine being a shepherd, keeping watch over your flock by night and, a, and lo, an angel of the Lord appeared to you and you're terrified. We're going to read the Christmas story from the gospels next week. Um, but just imagine the fear that they felt, the, the awe that they felt. And as they come to approach this baby, this one who would save the world, th- this may be kind of like, God, what are you doing? You're sending an infant. You're sending a helpless newborn to step down into humanity. When we look at the Christmas story, it is God becoming man. It is God becoming flesh and making his dwelling among us. And if we sing that phrase, um, the, the hallowed manger ground. What makes a place hallowed or holy, that's, that's normal English, right? What makes a place holy is the presence of God. That's what makes a place holy. Moses, when he comes up upon the, um, the, the bush that wouldn't burn or that burned, but it wouldn't burn up. God says to him, take your sandals off because the place you're standing on is holy ground. What made it holy was that God himself was there. Love the picture for us because as followers of Jesus, we have been made holy because God himself has come to dwell in us by his spirit. We're looking at throne names here. These are names that would describe what and who the Messiah would be and do. So we've looked at the names, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. We're going to look today at Father of Eternity or Everlasting Father. Next week, God willing, we're going to look at the phrase Prince of Peace. But this context of prophecy is set in in, in this story of there's a whole group of people, Israel, who is walking away from God. And God wants to say, I have not forgotten you. Here's what I am going to do. And he doesn't just send any old deliverer. He doesn't just send one of the judges that he sent throughout the judges period. He doesn't just send a king. He sends a king of all kings. He he sends someone who is from eternity to eternity. The, the, The phrase everlasting father that we're going to look at today has this idea of a God who has always been and who always will be. But when we're talking about everlasting father from Isaiah chapter nine, we're not talking about God, the father, we're talking about God, the son. Um, This week, I I wanted to, I wanted to read this to you just to help us set some good theology um, about who God is. 
we believe, scripture teaches, that God is one in being and eternally exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And yet each of these persons, while are distinct persons, they are fully God. They have all the attributes of God and they are equal to one another while being distinct in manifestation and purpose. That's a big theological uh, phrase to basically say, we serve a God who is echad, one but who is three distinct persons, God, the father, God, the son, and God, the spirit. And in the context of this promise, when we're looking at everlasting father, we're actually talking about how the son would be the father. We'll talk about that in just a moment and and what that means for us today. Um, I invite you to turn to Isaiah chapter nine. I've already heard part of this scripture reading already today, but it it bears well for us to read this again, just to get it all in context. So um, Isaiah chapter nine, verses one through six. If you're able to, I invite you to stand with me for the reading of scripture. It's good to hear passages of scripture multiple times. Helps them cement not just in our minds, but in our hearts. Nevertheless, the gloom of the distressed land will not be like that of the former times when he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will bring honor to the way of the sea, to the land east of the Jordan, and to the Galilee of the nations. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. You have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoice at harvest time, as they rejoice when dividing spoils. For you have shattered their oppressive yoke, the rod on their shoulders, the staff of their oppressors, just as you did on the day of Midian. Remember that story from last week? For the trampling boot of battle and the bloodied garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Everlasting father, father of eternity, you could say, prince of peace. The dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Our father and our king, we thank you for the gift of Jesus to this world. Jesus, our Messiah, God who became man who lived as a man, who died as a man, and was raised to new life. God, we thank you for the gift of Jesus to our world and how we can have life in him today. And Lord, we just thank you that you are here, that your presence dwells within us, that we have the peace of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, God, for meeting us here today. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Please be seated. So we're talking about a triune God. Uh, we've had don't know what that is. What did I do? Did I break something? Maybe. Up until now, put it right there. See. We're both perplexed. Uh, Up until now, we've been looking at throne names of God. Uh, We've been looking at compound names, like a name and a name and a name and a name. This name is two names put together. So I guess this is the compound name here. When we're looking at the name Everlasting Father, in Hebrew, we're looking at it and it's Aviad. Can you say Aviad? 
Aviad. It's made up of two different names, actually. And they're put together. Um, the first one is the word Av. Av means father. It means progenitor or source. It means originator. It has the sense of creator behind it as well. Um, we also have, we'll look at that in a minute. We also have the, the second word, Aviad. Av means lasting future time. So we have this one who is a creator, who is a sustainer, who, who is a source of all things forever. When we think about God, this is probably one of the hardest things for me to wrap my head around. A God who is eternal. A God who always was, who always is, and who will always be. But what other kind of redeemer would you send when you're the king of the universe, right? You wouldn't send someone who is temporal. You'd send one who from beginning to end knows it all. You'd send one who spoke and it was. The New Testament says about Jesus that all things were made by him and in him all things were created. John chapter one talks about how God spoke, how Jesus spoke the, word into the world into existence. We have this incredible picture of a God who is eternal, but a God who is intentional. He doesn't make things haphazardly. He's eternal and he is intentional. This idea of um, Aviad, the father of eternity, of father, progenitor, originator, is, is part of this throne, this throne room name of God. And your translation here might say everlasting father, because there's, there's actually three ways you could translate it. You could translate it, everlasting father. You could translate it, my father is eternal, like a sentence, or you could translate it as father of eternity. Smarter people than I talk about this and they talk about how father of eternity probably best expresses what is going on here. When Jesus creates, he creates a world. He, 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 he creates and he speaks into existence all things. And yet this is spoken into existence by, by Emmanuel. You know, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, John 1. And then this God who makes all things through his word, through his hands becomes flesh and blood, and he makes his dwelling among us. It's kind of a crazy thing to think about a king who would place himself amongst his people. When we look at a lot of rulers and authorities and such today, typically, this is like worldwide, typically you have the king's palace, you have the king's mansion, you have, you have a place in which they are separated from all the common folk. And yet here is a God who steps down into the lowliest of places, into the lowliest of circumstances. And he says, I'll become that. John, or, um, Paul writes it this way in Philippians chapter 2. Uh, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. He doesn't just humble himself by becoming man. He humbles himself by becoming the servant of humanity. This is the father of creation. This is the one who speaks. The promised child who is Emmanuel, who is God with us. When we look at this phrase, father of eternity, 
It has this sense of he will reign forever. Uh, the big word is eternality. And you see that in the end of our passage. Um, he will reign on David's throne. Okay, so he's going to come from the throne of David, which Second Samuel prophesies and foretells. He will reign on David's throne over his kingdom to establish it, to sustain it with justice and righteousness from now and forever. The kind of kingdom we're talking about with regard to Emmanuel is not a kingdom that's going to come and pass. It's going to be a kingdom that's going to come and it is going to stay because he's an eternal God. And, and yet when Jesus comes to this earth, while he is a distinct person of the Trinity, he represents the Father perfectly. He, he is of the exact nature of his Father in fact, Jesus tells his disciples when they ask him, Lord, show us the Father. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now, what does it mean for, for God to be a father? Um, of course, this word means father, progenitor, source, originator. Um, Israel understood God as father. It wasn't maybe the primary way that they understood God. Um, they probably would have understood him primarily as holy, uh, pr primarily as echad, one. But they understood God as father. Moses writes this in Deuteronomy 32. He says, do you thus repay the Lord? Okay, um, covenantal name of God here, Yahweh. You foolish and senseless people, is he not your father? But notice how it's clarified. Isn't he your father who created you, who made you, and who established you? Moses, this is in the Song of Moses towards the end of his life, and he's, he's calling Israel to follow Yahweh no matter what because they, kind of like us, want to try to walk the other way a lot of times. But he says, is he not your father who created, sustained you, made you, established you? Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. And notice how, how it's changed here. Ask your father and he will show you your elders and they will tell you. So, so actually the second father should probably not be capitalized because he's talking about the fathers among them. He's saying, go back to the fathers. Isn't God your father? Go back to your elders. Be reminded, God is your father. He creates, he makes, he establishes. A lot of us um, depending on where we've come from, we struggle with this statement of father. I've no doubt in this room, we've got people who had amazing fathers growing up. Uh, incredible experiences of being loved and cared for and nourished and protected, established. And yet in this room, I have no doubt that we have people who look back on their dads and maybe their dads um, were not present. Maybe their dads, they, 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 they seem to not care. Maybe their fathers were even to the point of abusive. So when we think about father, we have to think about this from a biblical framework. Um, our earthly fathers, even if they were the best father, father knows best, or Andy Griffith, or something like that, even if they were the best of the best of fathers, I've actually never watched Father Knows Best, that just came to my mind. Um, even if they were the best of fathers, they would only in small part Mirror the incredible love that God the Father has for you. That God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit has for the people of God. Both Israel and the church. The best of fathers. You might think about it this way. Our fathers 
on this earth are not equal to God. At best, we try to represent God by his power. That's at best. But when we think of father, we have to think of it in, in, in how God set it up. We have to think of it as how God expresses himself throughout all of scripture, both new and old. In the scriptures, we find that, that, that God, is he not your father who creates you? When, when God creates the people of Israel, he calls Abraham and he gives him promises and he says, I will keep these. They stand and they happen because of God's faithful word. And in fact, the more I read the Hebrew scriptures, the more and more I'm just blown away with how merciful and how gracious and how um, compassionate God is. Because so many times his people Israel turn and they say, we'd rather worship this king. We'd rather worship this God. We'd rather worship this person. We think we're going to find life somewhere else. And God says, come back, come back. And that's what Moses is doing here. He's saying, come back, come back to your father who has created and who has established and who has made you with intention, with purpose. This idea of father really focuses on that he is the source or the originator of all things. Every great dad is an imperfect reflection of God. My earthly father is not equal to my heavenly father, which means for some of us, we have to relearn what fatherhood is. We do. I, I've, I've talked to various people over the many years of ministry I've been a part of, and I've talked to people who said, I don't know what it's like to have a dad because my dad was not present. That is not your God. That, that, that's not Yahweh. Yahweh's always present. He's always thinking of his people. Re remember the story from last week? Just as you did in the day of Midian's defeat, God stepped in when his children went, oh, we need you, God. He stepped in on their behalf using their willingness. He said, I'm going to do an incredible thing that you can't even begin to think, fathom, or imagine. And he delivers them. And that's like the Christmas story. When God sent his son into the world, he sent him, the Messiah, Jesus, to be one who would step in to redeem a helpless people. Romans puts it this way. Um, While we were yet helpless, Christ died for the ungodly. None of us come to faith because we're good. We come to faith because God, who created you, who created me, step down into existence because he existence in this world in humanity because he wanted to pay the penalty for our sin so that we could have a restored relationship with him this is the idea the picture of father it, it's the picture of someone who would give everything to get back those who've been lost to sin everything Jesus, when he tells stories about, about God, he describes God one way as a, um, he, he tells a story about a, a sheep who went missing. And the good shepherd, he, he leaves those 99, he leaves them in care. He doesn't just like abandon them. He leaves them in care. He leaves them because he wants to go seek after the one who is lost. That is God's heart for people. And Jesus reflects that and embodies that and lives that in such incredible 
clarity. The idea of father here is very, very strong within this passage. In fact, a couple of verses later, if you look up in Deuteronomy 36 or 32, you don't have to look at this, but in, in verse 36, it goes on to say that God will vindicate his people and he will have compassion on his servants. The point is this, Israel saw Yahweh as a father, even when they chose to abandon him, he did not abandon them and he remained faithful to his promises. That's who the father is. But he's not just a father. He, he is the aviad, the, the father that is everlasting, the father of eternity, the eternal father, you could say. And this idea of the word ad is lasting future time. Just think about that. Let it kind of blow your mind for a minute here. Lasting future time is what this means. It means forever. It means that he's the God who is forever lasting and into the future forever. Why would a father need to be odd, everlasting or, or eternal? You can go back, I can go back throughout the course of human history and we can find this. You have high points, you have low points. Things rise, things fall. In the United States, every two years, there's an election. We're reminded of it all the time. And you're like, oh, but this is going to be the one that's going to make or break everything. It's been that way for a long time, here and elsewhere. Even more locally, things rise and things fall. To have a father who cares, who sustains, who creates, who originates, who is the source of all life. But to not have him eternal means that there's, there would be a there would be a time in which that would cease to be. But with God, who steps down into humanity, he becomes the father, the originator, the source of something that goes on forever. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. I don't know about you. When I look at the world around me, I don't want just a season of justice and righteousness. I don't want just a season of peace. I want to experience the incredible peace of the Lord forever. Forever. My mind can't even handle the idea of forever, but, but that's kind of what's at play here. Um, this word carries the sense of eternality. It, this is another reminder. We're not talking about an, a long-lasting earthly king. We're talking about Yahweh who is eternally existent. Here's a verse later in Isaiah that carries both of these qualities of Yahweh with a slightly different way. It says here, but now, O Lord, Yahweh here, you are our father. All right. They understood God as father. We are the clay and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. They recognize that there is a relationship here with God that he is working in and through. He's molding, he's shaping, he's directing his people. We are the work of your hand. Be not so terribly angry, O Lord, and remember not iniquity forever. They recognize they have sinned. The, the, the prophet here is recognizing we have sinned. Don't, don't see our sin forever. Because if God were to see our sin forever, it would literally be a constant thing before him. And yet it says, behold, please look, we are all your people. 
they do not have merit to gain before God. They go back and they throw themselves on the mercies of a God who says, I want to be in relationship with you. Come here. Let me mold you. Let me shape you. Let me be your father. That's what he's given to his people, Israel. Even though they've gone a different way, even though they've, they, they've, they've, they've left in many ways the walk of God, Isaiah, here in the context, is asking God to come and to restore his people. He, he's asking God to be faithful to his promises because they've wandered away. But God, Isaiah knows God to not just be father, but to be redeemer of Israel, Isaiah 63, 16, and implores him, Intervene again. In, intervene again, God. One writer writes it this way. He says, he says, when the people of Israel asked for a king, they had in mind that a continuing institution would provide them with security greater and more reassuring than the episodic rule of the judges. Total security requires more than a stop and go rule. And it is achieved in a king who reigns eternally. That's why we need to have a, a, a father of eternity. A, an everlasting father. From the beginning of the garden, God designed us for a relationship. He designed you and me for a relationship with him. He designed you and me um, for a relationship with one another. Back in the garden, sin enters the world. And it breaks this relationship in a very strong way. Sin comes in. And when sin enters the world, humanity rebels against God. They mutiny against God. God goes through a series of creating covenants with people for the purpose of showing them who he was. He creates a covenant with Abraham so that he'd give Abraham a land, a nation, and a blessing. And part of his blessing to Abraham is, I will bless the whole world through you. We are the benefactors of God blessing the world through Abraham. Because through Abraham, through Isaac, through Jacob, through all these um, tribes of Israel comes one who is a Messiah, a Savior who was born for us this day. Born for the people of Israel, but a Savior who would be a Savior for the entire world. The rest of the Bible goes on to paint this picture of a God who rescues and redeems a message of Jesus uh, who was crucified and raised to life, who apostles and prophets and servants of God throughout the last two millennium have given their life for something, for someone much greater than them because they knew that it wasn't their life they were giving. They actually lost their life to sin in order that they, they might find their life in Jesus. This is a great gift that God has given to his people. So I was thinking about this a little bit over the last couple of days. A couple of uh, thoughts came to mind, but, but one particular passage uh, came to my mind. Talking about the gift of God to the world. I like the way the ESV states it, so I'm going to read it from my, from my digital Bible here. In Romans chapter 8, it says, What then shall we say to these things? 
If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? The idea of a father is one who gives. Um, we celebrated Christmas yesterday with my wife's side of the family uh, down in northern Indiana. And it's just fun to watch people's faces and, and to see the joy that comes upon a grandpa's face when they give a kid something. And they're like, ah. And to see them enjoy it, to, to, to see them and know that this is going to be something that they're going to enjoy, but they're going to maybe even enjoy together. Because God, like, I should say it this way, human fathers mirror God when they say, I want to graciously give my kids good things. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things, Paul says. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, he says, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, he says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And get this. This is, this is the word of God to his people. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. When he says that, he's not just saying for a moment in time, nothing will be able to separate you from the love of Christ. He is saying because he is a father who is eternal, a father of eternity, that there is nothing that will ever, 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 keep going, separate you and I, from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. We serve a God who is eternal. And that brings us hope. Because in a world where things come and things go, in a world where we experience sin and we experience death and we experience just this, this aching pains of life, we can look forward to one day being with him forever but we can live in the knowledge that right now, nothing, no, not anything, will ever separate us from his love. Just take a moment. Think about your life during this crazy, busy Christmas season. What are some of the things that seem to separate you from the relationship with your father? What are the things that kind of step in there and disrupt that eternal walk with him? It might be sin. It, it might be just conflict within a relationship. It might be the breaking down of our, of our bodies. It, it might be seeing unrighteousness and injustice 
go seemingly unchecked in our world? What are the things that try to separate you from the love of God? We serve a God who meets us and he says, there is nothing that can separate you from me. He wants to be your father. Is he your father? Jesus is the very, the very image, the exact representation of God. When you've seen him, you've seen the father. Some of us need to come back to who Jesus really is today. Some of us need to take him at his word. Some of us need to be reminded, no matter what we face in life, he is with you. We're going to talk next week about the Prince of Peace. Um, And that's not just a passing peace. That's an eternal peace. It's a peace that can come and rule and reign in your heart today through trusting Christ. It's a peace that you can live in such a way that people go, wow, that's someone who's very, very different because they've been changed by an eternal God. Is God your father. I invite you to once again come back to him who is our father, our maker, our sustainer, our redeemer, our wonderful counselor, our mighty God, our everlasting father, our prince of peace. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this morning. It's a hard thing really, Lord, for me to comprehend that you are a father of eternity. But I thank you, God, that I don't have to worry about eternity because you hold eternity in the palms of your hands. I I, I don't have to worry about the things which are to come. God, you call me, you call us to live here in the present moment. And Lord, I ask that you would teach us how to do that. There's a lot of distractions. There's a lot of worries. There's a lot of fears. That, God, we carry... And God, you want to shoulder those burdens. Even as Jesus says in the gospel of Matthew, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke, my teaching upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And there you find rest for your souls. God, there's, there's many of us here who, who maybe are not experiencing rest because we're trying to shoulder the things of this world on our own strength. Father of eternity. Creator. Our, our source of life. Our source of spiritual life. Our source of eternal life. God we give these things to you. Trusting you. To be enough for us this day. Thank you for the moments we have today to celebrate this Christmas season together as a church family. God, cause us, cause us to to walk in the leading of your spirit today. We pray for the glory of Christ, our Messiah. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that what you heard inspires you to take the next step in your faith. 
If you have questions about this message or would like more information about our church, we invite you to check us out at fbczealand.org or call us at 616-772-4377.